Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network and sponsored by Anderson Hauser. Anderson Hauser is a global leader in measurement instrumentation services and solutions for industrial process engineering. They provide process solutions for flow measurement, level pressure, temperature analytics, and much more, optimizing processes and efficiency, safety, and environmental impact. They serve many industries across the globe, including a focus in oil and gas. Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Today I have on the show with me Mr. David Miller, the Senior Director of Standards Development, Global Industry Services for the American Petroleum Institute. Dave, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, Russell, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, I am too. As a matter of fact, you may not know this, but I actually promoted somebody from American Petroleum Institute coming on the show back in January when we were kind of giving some highlights of what we were going to have in the upcoming new year. And I'm sure some of our regular listeners have wondered, whatever happened to that API show? What they don't know is all the trials and travails we've gone through trying to just trying, trying to, to get this out. set up. Yeah, yeah, trying to work on our schedules. And then after we finally got that worked out, then the technical difficulties we had to go through. So, David, first of all, you have more letters behind your name than is in your name. So, PE, I assume that's professional engineer, not petroleum engineer. Is that correct? That's correct. That's a professional engineer. I have my professional engineering license in Texas. In Texas? Yes, sir. I have my PE license in Texas. I've got quite a history in Texas, so there you go. So did you go to school in Texas? You know, I went to the University of Utah for my undergraduate degree. I got a bachelor's in civil engineering, and I moved back and worked actually in the oil field for a while in Houston, actually in Victoria, outside of Houston, and then moved to Houston and worked for an engineering company and then moved to Dallas. And then in Dallas, I got my second degree from UTD, University of Texas at Dallas. So, yep. Okay, so then we got F dot F period ASCE. I assume that's fellow of what? So yes, that is fellow. It's the American Society of Civil Engineers. So I'm a member of the American Society of Civil Engineers. That's where I got my undergraduate degree in civil engineering and have been involved in that organization, wow, for many, many years to the point where I could apply to be a fellow. It's about 130, 125, 130,000 individuals that are members of ASCE and only about, I think it's three or 4% of them apply and become fellows. And fellows is simply a recognition of essentially a long career and some distinguished work and all the kinds of things that go into professional society credentialing. So that is my credentialing from the American Society of Civil Engineers. I also serve on their membership application review committee, which means I get to review other applicants for fellow status. So it's kind of come full circle for me. Well, that's great. The regular listeners of this show will know we only have the best and the brightest on this show. So you definitely fit in there. Now, you say you spent some time in Texas, but you went to Utah. Is that where you're from? No, I grew up kind of in the Southwest. My father was an electrical engineer working in aerospace, and you just kind of follow the big contracts. So we moved from 
New Mexico to California, down to Houston, out to Utah. And then he had finished his career in Utah. And that's when I had my college degree there for my bachelor's. And then I moved back to Texas, actually, with a wireline company based in Fort Worth, Texas, who then sent me to Victoria. And I did that for a period of time. And then after a while, decided I wanted to go back into direct engineering, if you will, and move to Houston to become an engineer with a consulting firm. So you've been around, you know your geography, because right now I'm talking to you, your office is in Washington, D.C., right? That is correct. I'm working from my home office today, but our offices are in D.C. If you're familiar with D.C. at all, we're near Union Station, not too far from Capitol Hill. In fact, from one of the couple of the conference rooms in our building, we've got a great view of the Capitol. Okay. So let's talk about your position at API. In fact, first of all, let's talk about maybe a little bit for those who may not know. And even for those who think they do know, I think, especially in the United States, everyone's heard of American Petroleum Institute, or we just simply call it API. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, I'm not sure API is completely understood in relationship to just how important they are to the industry. So let's talk a little bit about who and what API is. Sure, sure. That's a great intro. Actually, I've got a a little story to kind of set all this up. I had an aunt who was a, a landman, if you know what a landman is, that's the person that goes out and puts the leases together and, you know, puts the, you know, projects together when folks are drilling. And my father-in-law was a landman as well. And when I told him I was leaving the consulting practice I was managing an office for in Dallas and joining API, he said, oh, I know a bit about API because he had been involved in the Michigan chapter. We have a number of chapters at the state level. And he said the first time that he ran into API was when he'd gone out to a well site. They were doing some work. And the foreman asked if everything was API. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, is everything up to standard? Is everything API product? Is everything essentially as safe as it can be and as good as it needs to be to do this job properly? So that was sort of my first exposure to API from the standpoint of the organization. The organization was actually founded in 1919. And initially, it started out as a standards developing organization. There were sort of three foundational programs that API took on back in 1919. The first one was setting standards, which we're still doing today. And of course, we'll spend more time talking about. The second one was doing statistics. There was sort of no authoritative information on the industry statistics. And we're still doing that work as well. We have our weekly statistical bulletin that's published every week. That's one of the most widely followed reports on everything from production volumes to refinery throughput to pipeline operations. And then finally, the third sort of foundational program was industry taxation. There was sort of no alignment on taxation from state, federal, and local levels. And so those are the sort of three programs that came about for API to be formed back in 1919. Interestingly enough, of course, we're still working on all of them because they're all very important. But I think the other interesting part about that is that they're all really, when you think about it, kind of technical programs. So really, The organization was founded to do technical work on behalf of the industry. And of course, growing from the taxation work is a very large and well-known advocacy program at API at both the state and federal level. But, you know, in our DNA, we really were, you know, founded to do technical work like standards. Okay. Now, regular listeners of this show, I think one of the reasons they listen to the show is because they're always waiting on me to screw up and ask the wrong question. But I want to... So I probably shouldn't do this, but let me go back to your story that you told. Oh, sure. About was everything up to API standards? Was it? 
Yes, it was. My All right. I, I scored one there. You got one there. Yeah, no, he was happy to say that everything was everything was safe. Everything was interchangeable. That's why you write standards. It's kind of one of the common problems if you're out drilling a well and you run into an issue where maybe the company that's been providing your drill pipe or your you know, your other threaded connections, or whatever the equipment you need is, you know, isn't available to serve you that day. You need to call someone else who can provide the same thing and that it'll all made up, right, and match up and you won't have any upsets in the field. So, yep, nope, everything was up to API. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, again, this is what I was talking about. I don't think API gets its due. I really don't think the industry gets its due. That's why we're a huge advocate for the industry. You know, I really think, well, I know you know, people think gas, you know, comes from that pump at the gas station, you know, kind of like people think, I don't know what they think sometimes, but they think groceries come, you know, from the storeroom in the back of the store. The complexity of growing food and getting it on your shelf is tremendous. And even more so in the oil and gas industry, the idea of, you know, starting like you said, with the landman who arranges it with the landowner or the one who has the royalty rights and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. And then, yep. you know, all the geological stuff involved and then moving the rig in and all. It's a tremendously complicated process. And I notice on the website, for example, you're talking about 1919, APIs developed more than 700 standards to enhance operational environmental safety, efficiency, and sustainability. That's a pretty good record. Yeah, we're very proud of that record. So we published our first standard, as I said, you know, early on after we'd been formed in 1919, and that was in 1924. And it was a drill thread standard, which we still have around, of course, because as I said, you need to have that, you know, interoperability and interchangeability between different manufacturers. And now we're, as you said, you know, more than 700 standards. In fact, we're closing in on 800. And we're unique in sort of the standards development space, if you might call it that, in that we're the only standards developing organization that's focused solely on oil and natural gas standards. We don't write standards for any other industry. Our focus is solely on oil and natural gas. And so we cover what we call the entire supply or value chain for oil and natural gas. We have standards for exploration and production, as you just mentioned, standards for, you know, pipeline, you know, getting the product from point A to point B, standards for, you know, the actual refining and the producing of the refined products, then standards finally to, you know, the end user, the consumer, the standards we have for, you know, motor oil and things of that nature. And then, of course, the measurement standards that help us track what's called custody transfer anytime the product moves, you know, in ownership, you know, from party A to party B. Of course, everyone is very concerned as well. They should be, you know, that those measurements are accurate and that everyone is receiving, you know, what they should as far as, you know, their royalties or their remuneration from the wells to all these other different aspects. So we have a whole series of standards that's focused solely and simply on how do you make sure that that measurement's accurate and up to what it needs to be. The interesting thing about our standards is, you know, we've got so many of those standards published over the years that they're very widely used by the regulatory community. I think we're up to over 700 different citations in the federal code of regulations, the CFR. And at the state level, of course, they all use our standards as well, because if you think about the states, if you don't have exploration production, you may have refining. If you don't have refining, you may have pipelines or probably do have pipelines. And certainly, you're going to have service stations. And so the states very widely use our standards. I think we've got over 3,400 different citations in, in state regulations. So when you think about it, our standards really cover the entire, you know, breadth of the industry. And that's really why we're focused solely 
on this industry is to support that, as you said, safety and sustainability going forward. Well, I want to come back to that in just a second. But first of all, so if you're the senior director of standards development, all of this wide array you just outlined there, you're kind of in charge of that? Yeah, it's my responsibility as a senior leader at API and a member of our global industry services leadership team to sort of look at all of the different standard development programs within the Institute and make sure that they're aligning with, you know, the broad industry needs for safety and sustainability and where we can sort of helping to assist industry as we move forward. And this is one of the things I hope we'll have time to talk about is, you know, a big part of what we're focused on right now is the energy transition that so many of our members and the industry are so keen on working towards a lower carbon future which I might point out is a nice way, again, of becoming full circle because my second degree from the University of Texas at Dallas, I'm proud to say, is in environmental sciences. So I'm, oh, now wow. bringing, yeah, so I'm now bringing some of that into the work I'm doing for the organization. Not that we didn't think about it before, because of course we did. A lot of our standards are safety and environmental type standards, but specifically now as industry is so focused on being you know, part of the solution, if you will, during the energy transition with regards to you know, our climate action framework and climate change, the fact that we're developing and updating our standards to support that transition is just really exciting for me. Okay, put a bookmark right there because we'll come back to that. Two quick questions. First of all, your senior director of standards development and it says global industry services. So is API international in scope or is American Petroleum Institute? Is it just American? Yeah, that's a great question. And I do think there's some, you know, misunderstanding out there because you know, people think of API as the American Petroleum Institute. We're very proud of that as well, because obviously we're founded and based here in the U.S. But we actually have three international offices. We have our first office that we open internationally is in Beijing, and that's also our largest office, because when you think about China, you think about an awful lot of manufacturing. And we have programs that support that through our standardization efforts. And then we also have offices in Rio to support, you know, South America and the Central Americas, and then Dubai to support you know, the Middle East. And then when you look at how we develop our standards, and you mentioned we've got that, you know, more than 700 standards, we actually have, you know, a little over 9,000 volunteers that are subject matter experts that work on our standards from over 2,200 different organizations. And about one-fifth of those SMEs are international participants from all over the world uh, that help us write these standards. And so, yeah, we are very global in the work that we do. And when we look at how API is structured, we have our global industry services team, which is roughly half of the organization. And it's all about supporting the different safety and sustainability programs based on the API standards. The one that your listeners may be the most familiar with is the monogram program, which is the ability for manufacturers to manufacture to an API standard and be able to proudly stamp that product with the API logo and their you know, date of manufacture and their license number. But we also have programs for individual certifications where folks who go out and do inspections primarily at refineries and petrochemical plants, but we're also expanding that into the upstream area as well. And there we have, I think, over 40,000 individuals around the world, literally, that have those licenses to make sure that those plants are operating as safely as they can. So It is a very international part of API, and that's why it's the global industry services group that I represent. Okay, then back to, especially here in the United States, you talked about a lot of your standards have made their way into federal and state regulations and that sort of thing. Let's 
talk a little bit about, you know, the big bad boogeyman. Let's talk about enforcement. I guess a lot of that comes from the regulatory agencies. Yes, the API standards are completely voluntary and their use is completely voluntary. So, you know, the state and federal regulators will reference those standards. So they're voluntary until it becomes part of, you know, a regulatory framework or it's voluntary until two parties say have an agreement in place where, you know, you're providing product to an API standard and then it becomes mandatory. But one of the newer programs at API that continues to build on our proud tradition of standards development and those kinds of programs is called our Energy Excellence Program. And that's a program where we took all of our standards and we looked at all of our different safety programs and said, well, how do we kind of knit this together with our members? We have about 600 corporate members to sort of demonstrate, you know, how they operate, you know, in accordance with the API standards and how they make sure that they're operating as safely as they can. And so now we have the Energy Excellence Program that was just launched in the last couple of years where companies are going to be able to make an attestation that these are the standards that they're following. And there's a series of API standards that are part of the Energy Excellence Program. And you can go and see that on our website. If you go to the api.org website and click on the Energy Excellence Program, it'll give you the whole layout of the program and also the resources that are available for our member companies to support the program, such as the standards that are part of the program and some simple checklists to help them validate you know, their overall management and operational integrity program against the API standards, as well as their own internal documents and other standards that are widely used in the industry as well. Well, once again, I got by with asking a question I didn't know the answer to. I would have never made a good lawyer, but I got the answer right. The point is, while some of these standards get built into, you know, regulatory and that sort of thing, the fact of the matter is for the industry overall, this voluntary aspect, people are glad to volunteer. They want to meet these high standards, right? Exactly. They want to be able to differentiate themselves to say, you know, we are an organization that follows the API standards. We're an organization that makes sure that, you know, we are operating as safely as we can in the communities that we, you know, live and work in, in the products that we provide our our customers, and that therefore, you know, we're following the highest standards that are set by the industry standards leading organization, which is, of course, API. And that was one of the points, again, as we are big advocates for this industry, this industry does care about safety. It does care about health. It does care about the environment. And API plays an integral role in it. I was curious, I think you said your largest office is in Beijing? Yes, that's correct. Our largest international office. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more people in Washington where I am than we are than in Beijing. Today. Okay. All right. But I find it very interesting and hopefully encouraging. They're trying to meet these standards in China. Absolutely. And if you think about a lot of the manufacturing work that's done, you know, those organizations want to be able to, you know, sell to a global market. They want to be able to be part of, you know, the global industry. And to be able to do that, you know, they look to the API certification programs, the API standards, the API safety programs that we have put in place over the years. We have a pipeline safety management system program. We have a program for process safety site assessment. So if you're a refiner or a petrochemical plant, you can have a group of API assessors come out and assess your process safety program and provide you essentially kind of like a scorecard of how you're doing in a very great way of, of kind of benchmarking yourself and saying, right, 
What are the areas against these API standards that I'm doing well in? What are the areas where I need to, you know, work and improve and be as safe as I can? So we've got quite a few programs at API. Another great one is the Center for Offshore Safety based in Houston that is, again, helping the offshore industry operate more safely. It's all about, as we like to say, making sure that everyone goes home to their family at night. So that's a big part of what we do. That's the part of our intro on every show. And as a matter of fact, it's Russell Holmes in Houston who operates that offshore safety center. We had him on a podcast here, I think, back in December. As a matter of fact, it was one of our most listened to podcasts for the year. Yeah, I'm sure he did a great job. Russell's a wonderful contributor and an asset for the organization and for the industry. Okay, so let's talk about the other big boogeyman. How do you fund all this? Yeah, so API's funding comes from two sources. The part of API that does our advocacy work, so that's obviously when I mentioned taxation, the folks that do the work with the agencies, the folks that work with the administration, the folks that do all that kind of work at API, and that's roughly half the organization is funded directly by our dues that our members pay. So that's about half of the organization. And the other half, which is the Global Industry Services Group, the group that I support and that I'm involved in, we pay for our programs through sales of our products and services. So for example, you know, those 700 standards that we publish, you know, we do charge for those. And that revenue comes into API. In addition to paying for my department, we also reinvest a certain amount of that into you know, some basic research to help support improvement of our standards. And so we're one of the few standards developing organizations that actually takes some of our revenue stream you know, above what we have to just simply support our department and then do research to improve our standards. Because again, that's you know, the advantage we have of being you know, focused solely on the oil and natural gas industry is that we can say, right, you know, let's improve standards in this area. A great example right now is we're going to be producing and publishing in a short time, I think in the next few weeks, an updated report on offshore bolting. And we've spent, you know, a pretty good amount of API resources doing some basic research on bolting, and that will be reflected in this, you know, technical report that we publish. So that's how we support our programs. Okay, I'm going to let you come back to that bookmark here. Just one more thing, though. You mentioned local chapters. So I guess I should, and most people know, and it's splashed all over the OGGN website, but I actually am the chairman for the local Houston chapter. I can't speak for all of the other local chapters as far as exactly what all they do, but I can say, and this podcast is listened to in over 100 countries, but the biggest majority is in Texas and in the Houston area. So just a second of shameless advertising here. I would really encourage you to join the local chapter. And a lot of times this gets confused. We'll have people come to our events and like we have a golf tournament, we have a sporting clays, we have tennis tournament, we have a couple of other fun events. One of the requirements is you have to be a member of the local chapter in order to participate in the event, people will come up and say, well, I'm already a member, you know, my company's already a member of API. Well, the membership in the local chapter is a little bit different, but in our case in Houston, I mean, it costs 25 bucks to become a member so that you can come to our monthly luncheons and participate in our fun events. And just so everybody knows, the local Houston chapter of API, which is the largest of the local chapters, we have five endowed scholarship funds for petroleum engineering students 
plus another one that's at five major Texas universities, plus another one that we participate in at Louisiana State University, LSU. In the past 35 years, we've contributed almost $2.9 million to those scholarship funds. Wow. And we're trying to hit the $3 million mark, which we make our next contributions in May. So for anybody listening, we need your help. And you can actually go to our local website, api-houston.org, and you can make a donation to the scholarship fund. Okay, so let's talk about energy transition and sustainability. We'll do that. But first, before we leave, let me thank you for your service for you know being the leader of the Houston chapter. It's our largest and probably one of our most active chapters. I've spoken at different chapters. I don't know if I've had the opportunity to speak at the Houston, but I've done one out in Bakersfield. I know I've been to the ones in Louisiana. So they're great resources for industry. And I think they really help sort of put a local face, if you will, on the industry and people recognize, okay, this is a local organization. And they, like you said, care about, you know, the neighborhoods that they live in and the air that they breathe and the water they drink as well. So thank you for your leadership, Russell. Well, thank you. We were proud to have last month, we had Amanda Eversall. She was our keynote speaker at our luncheon at the Petroleum Club. Oh, that's terrific. Okay, so energy transition, sustainability, that seems to be on everybody's mind. So let's hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm happy to talk a bit about that. So a little less than a year ago, back in March of last year, so actually almost right out of year then, API published its Climate Action Framework. It's up on our website. And really what the Climate Action Framework is, is what the API members, you know, from our executive committee down through our board to our full membership support as far as assisting in sort of the energy transition. So it's got five pillars. The first one is to accelerate technology and, and innovation to reduce emissions while meeting growing energy needs. And so that's obviously very important. And we're doing some really interesting work in that area from the standards development. One of the parts of that pillar is advancing hydrogen technology, innovation, and infrastructure. And I've got several groups working on updating our existing standards and considering new standards to assist in greater use of hydrogen. We want to, secondly, further mitigate emissions from operations to advance additional environmental progress. And in that area, I've got several groups working on, you know, pretty straightforward and sounds like simple things, but things that sort of tie into that. So, for example, we're updating one of our standards on exploration and production tanks so that we increase the operating pressure of those tanks and you can reduce emissions that way. So simple things that you can do that will help support that. The third item is to endorse a carbon price policy by government to drive an economy-wide market-based solutions because you know we think that if you're going to have a structure like that, a carbon pricing policy, it needs to be transparent. It needs to be clear to everybody, right? We're all paying you know, into this to reach these goals. And so that's why we think you know a carbon price is the simplest and cleanest way of doing that. Fourth pillar is advancing cleaner fuels to provide lower carbon choices for consumers. And one of the areas that I'm really interested in is we're doing work with an ad hoc group looking at the different differentiated natural gas or what's also known as responsibly produced natural gas markets and approaches. And what that simply says is, okay, if, if I'm going to be purchasing natural gas, I want to make sure I'm buying it and sourcing it from the organizations that I feel are doing the most to try to reduce emissions and to operate safely and sustainably. So we're very excited to be doing that work. And then the final, you know, fifth column or fifth pillar of the climate action framework is drive climate reporting to provide consistency and transparency. And transparency, of course, is a big part of what we try to do at API. And there, I'd like to just mention that in 2021, so just last year, we updated our API compendium of greenhouse gas emissions methodologies for the natural gas and oil industry. And it's 
one of the most widely used documents to sort of give everyone a baseline on different ways to do emissions and tracking emissions and reporting them. So, you know, that's the work that we're doing that I think is just really, you know, forward leaning as far as climate action and moving to, you know, a more sustainable and a lower carbon future. And it's just really, you know, interesting for me now to be part of that, considering, as I mentioned, that my second degree was an environmental scientist. So I'm really enjoying working with all the great SMEs from our member companies and sort of, you know, working on these projects and developing, you know, these forward-leaning solutions. Well, I'm really encouraged to hear about that because, and we talk about this often on the show, you don't create sustainability or whatever words you want to use by getting rid of the oil and gas industry. It's actually the oil and gas industry is going to be the leader in sustainability. Absolutely. That's the message that we want to get across. And I guess that's, we talked about a bookmark. I guess that's where we'll write to the end on this interview. Dave, I really appreciate again, you coming on the show today. Perhaps we can have you on again sometime and we can talk some more about these things because it's been very interesting. Thanks. I appreciate it. I'll put in one last plug and uh, okay. that plug would be for anyone who's an audience member that might be interested in working on a standards committee. You don't have to be a corporate member. This is a common misconception. You don't have to be from a corporate member company to serve on a standards committees. We're in an ANSI or American National Standards Institute accredited standards developing organization. And in full transparency, speaking of transparency, I'm on the ANSI board and actually one of their vice chairs. But the point is, if you go to our website, there is on our standards committees link, you can find an application to join one of our standards committees. We'll evaluate it and get back to you and get you active and would love to have that additional SMEs because that's what makes our standards better is the whole of all these different subject matter experts with their different experiences and company backgrounds helping us develop these standards. Okay, great. Well, as always, we'll definitely post in the show notes the link to the website. We'll also post your LinkedIn URL as well, so anybody can contact you directly through LinkedIn if they want to. Hey, thanks everybody again for listening. Hey, do us a favor. Please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. Like us on LinkedIn and use all your social networking to tell your friends about us, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.